Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking about a Vatican Archbishop under fire for comments on assisted suicide. Does synod voting now include the whole church? And will Pope Francis be visiting Argentina more in just a second? Hi, Mike, and welcome back to The Debrief. It's our weekly show where we dive into news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church today. I'm Dominic DeSouza, founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the editor and co-founder of the website Where Peter Is. Whether you're a devout Catholic, a curious seeker, or just interested in the news and happenings in the church. Here's our commentary, analysis, and context on the topics that you've asked us to discuss. So let's dive into our first one, a Vatican Archbishop under fire for comments on assisted suicide. Mike, you expressed some frustration towards the Pontifical Academy for Life. It was on Twitter this past week. What's going on with Archbishop Lorenzo Paglia? Well, it's a, it's a long story, but I, my frustration, uh, for lack of a better word, comes down to how they have handled communications um, in the past five or six years. Um, just to give a little bit of background, the Pontifical Academy of Life for Life is, is one of the um, is a pontifical academy, just like the Pontifical Academy for Sciences, the Pontifical Academy for Social Sciences. Um, the, those two um, have long been academic academies that have pulled together people from varied backgrounds and uh, experiences, um, different religious faiths, and they meet a couple of times a year and, and undertake some initiatives to discuss topics that are important to the world and to the church. Um, Pope Francis uh, decided in 2016 that he wanted to reorganize the Pontifical Academy for Life to make it more like the other Vatican academies. Um, it was founded in 1994 by Pope John Paul II, and it sort of developed a, a character of being more of a a pro-life advocacy organization that mm -hmm. focused specifically on issues like abortion, euthanasia, um, embryonic stem cells. Um, and while those topics still remain part of the purview of the Academy, um, mm -hmm. Pope Francis wanted to, wanted it to become a more scientific, a more academic, a more scholarly organization that drew from a wider variety of views and as well as additional topics like the plight of the poor is a life issue. The, um, you know, obviously things like the death penalty, um, healthcare, nutrition, um, those sorts of things are, are vital to the Pontifical Academy for Life. Um, under John Paul II, um, members of the Academy uh, had to take a pledge of orthodoxy to the Catholic faith um, and now the uh, you know the organization welcomes non-Catholics. Sometimes they are picked for areas of expertise, and obviously, if you're not Catholic, in most in a lot of cases, you aren't going to hold to the Catholic position on everything. Now, this you know obviously they such people would not be forming policy. Their uh, documents are not magisterial, even if they were. Somebody mm -hmm. who is hired. Or who is appointed to this um, to this academy because they're a great economist? Mm -hmm. um, they are, you know, that person would be basically streamlined into that area of expertise. They wouldn't be writing, you know, 
a, a paper on behalf of the academy or presenting on behalf of the academy on the on the topic of okay. euthanasia, for example. Um, so this was one of two organizations that uh, Pope Francis decided to overhaul in this way. The other okay. being the um, John Paul II Institute on Marriage and the Family. Mm -hmm. um, and so in both cases, um, in the John Paul II Institute, for example, uh, tenured positions were eliminated. Um, the institutes, the institute was essentially refounded with a new name, um, although it's still the John Paul II Institute. Um, and the Pontifical Academy for Life was also reinstituted with a new mandate and a new name. And Archbishop Paglia was appointed as the uh, chancellor of the JP2 mm -hmm. Institute and the president of the Pontifical Academy for Life. Okay. Um, as far as I know, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've never met him personally, but he he's apparently very orthodox, very committed to these issues. But unfortunately, uh, there seems to be a communication problem and it's been ongoing and it and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, especially so, in in light of this recent incident. Yeah, so that brings us back. Thank you for the overview. That brings us yeah. up to speed then. Why are people so critical about him today? So basically, he doesn't seem to have a grasp, nor does he seem to have anybody on his staff who understands the concerns of conservative Catholics in the Anglophone world, US, Britain, Australia, Canada. Um, he discusses these issues in a way that easily triggers, um, you know, the people who are upset at the overhaul in the first place. And recently he gave a speech on the issue of assisted suicide in Italy. Um, my understanding, although I, as an American, don't really know the, the Italian political system, but apparently their constitutional court recently passed uh, you know, a decision that opened up assisted suicide in Italy. Mm -hmm. And there are, uh, you know, so they've mandated it, but the parliament in Italy is discussing ways to regulate it. And my understanding, although this is my inference from outside sources, this is not obvious from the explanation or from the speech given by the Pontifical Academy for Life, is that, uh, he gave a talk in which he mentioned some things that like this might be the best we can hope for. This might be the most in line with the common good, according to mm -hmm. Catholic teaching. Um, you know, basically this is, this is inevitable. So let's do what we can to practical damage control. Exactly. But the okay. headlines have been pontifical mm -hmm. Academy for life. President says assisted suicide is feasible. Another one is the head of the Pontifical Academy for Life favors legalizing assisted suicide. Vatican Archbishop open to decriminalization of assisted suicide. In other words, it's like, here's Archbishop Paglia, the head of the Pontifical Academy for Life in the Vatican, and he is being represented in the media by these, uh, you know, these statements. This is the narrative. So how do they reply? They issue, first of all, they issued a one or two paragraph response, only in Italian initially, in which it said, you know, 
Of course, Archbishop Paglia supports the magisterium on the issues of euthanasia and assisted suicide, and then follows it with a bunch of gobbledygook that no one outside of Italy understands. And it's funny because I tweeted and I said, there needs to be an, like, I can run this through Google Translate or DeepL, but there's no explanation for this, you know, that that Mm -hmm. an American can understand. And so it was, this has been ongoing. This is, they... It's like he puts his foot in his mouth. There are statements in the initial only available in Italian speech where he talks about, he says something to the effect of the Catholic church doesn't issue truth pills. And he talks about the development of doctrine on the death penalty and somehow ties that to assisted suicide. And so that seems to be implying that there might be a development in doctrine allowing, like, please just hire an Englishman or something or an American, put him on your communication staff and have him offer the full explanation. Like I am more than happy to look charitably upon what he says and give a charitable interpretation and an accurate interpretation. But when they give me nothing to go on, Hmm. (laughs) like what, what can I do? So Um, in for, to understand, we're not talking about, ill will necessarily or or dissent it's it's just miscommunication or poor articulation um and i think you even tweeted some clarification on this came from a surprising source um church militant yes what did they have to say so their rome correspondent um julian gomes and he mentions in this in this video he he providentially uh had a meeting with them last friday and he spoke with them about these issues. He got to understand where they stood. He, I believe is English. So he understands the European mindset a little bit better than maybe an American can, but he works for church militant. So obviously he has a a basic understanding of, you know, the U S pro-life Catholic movement. And he gave the best possible explanation, but it's like, if the Pontifical Academy for life wants is, is waiting for church militant to defend them. We're in a very bad state. You know, they, they some, some reform is definitely needed when it comes to their messaging. And yeah, so I could go so in, on forever, but. <laughs> in terms of miscommunication, uh, we had another situation that happened recently. Um, can you speak to the Anglican mass that happened in Rome recently? Yeah, and this was our teaser from last week, but I think it's been adequately explained by, uh, you know, a number of sources. Basically what happened was an Anglican group asked for uh, permission to say mass in the uh, Lateran Cathedral, mm-hmm. um, which is the uh, the Pope's cathedral. It's the seat of Peter's chair is in the Lateran. It's the most important of Rome's basilicas, not, okay. not St. Peter's. Um, it apparently now some reports said that they, they said mass on the main altar. They did not. It was the app. It was in the apps. So the altar behind the main altar. Um, if you're familiar with St. Peter's in Rome, it's, it's the like, it would be like the altar of the chair and it was apparently blocked off to visitors, but it was an Anglican Bishop and 50 Anglican priests saying mass, which, you know, we don't view as, as valid. turns out it was a total miscommunication. Obviously, the headlines are Pope allows Anglicans to say invalid mass in, you know, in sacred cathedral on main altar, you know, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, people make mistakes. And, and unfortunately, this 
pontificate is under a microscope. I think that this was explained adequately and thoroughly, and there was an apology. Okay. Um, and Michael Lofton had a good video, I think, breaking it down. So maybe that can be, uh, maybe we can link to that. Yeah, people can check out Reason and Theology. He's been doing a bunch of really good work recently on this. Um, well, let's keep moving. So we want to talk about the next one. Does synod voting now include the whole church? Yes. So this was the big news yesterday. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. the Pope made some changes to the synod process, um, the most uh, significant of which was, um, so voting members of the synod, there are, you know, typically two or 300 bishops that are invited, the heads of all the bishops' conferences, and then delegations based on Catholic population from each country. And then um, they had 10 non-bishops who were voting, they were all men. They were the superiors of men's religious orders that were voted to go and mm -hmm. and um, be voting members. They would usually be priests. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but some of these orders have brothers as superiors, not necessarily ordained priests. And I think maybe they were granted the right to vote in a previous um, synod assembly, but don't quote me on that. But it's irrelevant now because um, they've changed that to... Uh, 10 superiors, but five from women's orders and five from men's orders. So that's the mm -hmm. first change. Um, and so basically that 10 that would have voted, those five women plus Sister Natalie Betancourt, who is the um, undersecretary for the Synod, those are the first six women now that can vote in a Synod. But he went even further. He added, um, he added uh, 70 lay participants now have votes in the Senate. Um, and he, you know, basically the instruction is they would be appointed by the Holy Father and they, an effort would be made that it adequately represents men and women, you know, so it would be divided evenly and according to, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, as well as possible, be a representative body of the laity of the church. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that, you know, approximately 40, 41 women out of the, you know, I don't know, three or 400 voting members would, you know, they would be women. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final thing is there would be participation from the entire church. Um, I need to look a little bit more into the details, but it's like our, our turn isn't over. Um, we'd be, you know, we will, all of us, you know, whether we're happy with what's going on or not, we will have a voice in the voting. Okay. Um, I want to ask in a second about if these votes are binding on the no. church, but first, uh, yes. well, let's ask that. So are they binding on the church? How should we take them? So some people are complaining. Some, Well, some people are describing this as a democratization of the church. Some people are describing this as the synod becoming a parliamentary body. That is not the case at all, nor was it ever when the voters were just bishops and male superiors. The, um, the Basically, this the um, synod is an advisory body. Mm -hmm. Um the synod, yes, they put together a document. They vote on, they vote on that. They vote on every paragraph. They have a drafting committee that puts something together. It is fully within the Pope's authority to ignore everything that they say and to do nothing. It's basically with and under Peter, and he, mm -hmm. you know, this as an advisory body, they 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 will offer proposals, and he can choose to elevate their document to a magisterial document if he wants. 
he can mm -hmm. write his own document that draws from that, um, or he can decide he doesn't want to, you know, write a document at all. Now, I wouldn't expect that last part, and I would expect he would take that feedback very seriously. Um, but the panic over it, or the from the right, and the idea that you know this is a deliberative body that's going to change church teaching in the way that progressives might want. That's mm -hmm. this isn't the case at all. It's just these are the people that he's chosen that he wants to advise him in the synod. And that's, you know, that's what it comes down to. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to our last point. We have the Holy Father, possibly a uh, return visit to Argentina. He said that he looks forward to traveling back to his home country in October of 2024. What's special about about this announcement? Well, I mean, the funny thing is when Pope Francis came to Rome, you know, the story goes, he had no expectation whatsoever. He bought a he return going... ticket or something, didn't he? Exactly. And and he thought it was going to be a short trip. He didn't pack very much. Apparently, there are some nuns that that keep his, you know, cardinal clothes in Rome for him. <laughs> so, he, yeah. you know, so it was, he, you know, he packed light. He uh, checked into a hotel. He went into the conclave. He was ready to head home. And then he gets elected pope. More than 10 years have passed. He has not set foot in his home country since then. Um, this has been, for some people, this has been the source of conspiracy theories. You know, people say, you know, I mean, it's it's as, as extreme as, you know, he's got a, a warrant out for his arrest because of crimes oh, or something, gosh. you know, from some of the more extreme traditionalists. Others say it's okay. because he's totally unpopular there and, and, and nobody likes him. Um, he... It's interesting because, well, first of all, before John Paul II, popes were Italian. Um, most of them didn't set foot outside of the Vatican until, mm -hmm. you know, the 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, and then John Paul made a return visit to Poland the year after he was elected pope. I mm -hmm. believe Pope Benedict's first trip was to Cologne in Germany because World mm -hmm. Youth Day was held, you know, okay. right after his election. Um Pope Francis has been to Latin America a number of times um, and Argentina has not been a part of the trip. Um, mm -hmm. Now he says that he wants to go in October, 2024, because it would be a year after uh, the elections in, okay. in Argentina. Um, and apparently that has been one of the main reasons why he has avoided going. I think he had a strong chance of going once, mm -hmm. but it happened to fall right in the middle of a very tense political time. And yeah. the Pope makes an effort to be nonpartisan, to not mm -hmm. influence elections, to not be used as a political prop. And mm -hmm. so he's okay. stayed away. But And in the past, he's hinted that, and people have speculated that he won't go back. But okay. This is the well, if he retires, um, do you think that he would return to live in Argentina? I think there have been rumors to that. That was the original speculation early on in his papacy. But uh, within the last year, I believe he said he's the Bishop of Rome. And that being the case, if he was to retire. Now, I'm of the opinion at this point that I don't think he will retire. Um, but if he was to retire, he would retire to the uh, priest retirement home in Rome, you know, okay. for Roman priests. Um, I think he, one of the things that he's done recently is he's emphasized, even though, you know, he's born and bred heart and soul, Buenos Aires, mm -hmm. but when he was elected Bishop of Rome, his role as local Bishop, uh, has been very important to him. You know, okay. we often forget the Pope is a diocesan Bishop on top of being, you know, 
the vicar of Christ. Shepherd of the church. Yeah. So, um, but he has, he has tried to embody and even change some policies to reemphasize his role as local bishop. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thank you again for covering these topics next week, friends. The Holy Father is traveling to Hungary. Well, it's going to be this weekend, so tune in next week. Uh, we, there's probably going to be something to respond to. It's a tense situation in that, especially that part of the world, since we're in the United States. So we'll probably have comments on that next week. Mike, thanks again for the debrief. Uh, links to these topics are in the description. You can also check out wherepeteris.com to read uh, the notes that Mike pulls together each week for these. The conversation here is brought to you from smartcatholics.com, the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join our private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Share this episode with family, friends, and followers, and please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode of The Debrief. And if you're interested in supporting us even more, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor for Where Peter Is. Your generosity helps us to continue to bring valuable content to you and to enhance the quality of this show. As you notice, I have my fancy Tula mic now. So thanks to our sponsors for uh, making that possible. That's right. Thank you, friends, for, for supporting where Peter is and supporting this show. You're creating the freedom for Mike and the team to keep doing things that are supporting, well, supporting the needs of the church. Thanks again for joining us when it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church. Stay curious, stay informed, and engaged. God bless you.